Miracy. You're just trying to pay the bills, right? And if you're just trying to pay the bills, you're just trying to not be poor, then what you're focusing on and what you're probably going to be attracting is, okay, don't be poor, don't be poor, don't be poor. That's actually poverty programming. Are you curious to learn how rich coaches maintain a growth mindset and conquer self-doubt? Wondering what skills they prioritize to create six, seven, or even eight-figure coaching businesses? Well, today my guest and I will uncover the thought patterns and habits that set rich coaches apart from their newbie counterparts. We'll be exploring the intriguing question, what separates those two? I'm your host, Melinda Cohen, and you're listening to Just Between Coaches. I run a business called The Coaches Console, and we're proud to have helped tens of thousands of coaches create profitable and thriving businesses. This is a podcast where we answer burning questions that newer coaches would love to ask a more experienced coach. While every coach is unique, so-called rich coaches possess a growth mindset. They exude a confidence, and they've got well-defined business strategies. They charge higher fees recognize their value, and prioritize continuous learning. On the other hand, newbie coaches, they might grapple with self-doubt. They're refining their strategies, and they're building their confidence and their abilities as business owners. Today, I've invited Mamoun Youssef, the creator and host of How Rich Coaches Think Summit, He's been a coach for over a decade. His online training programs, seminars, writings, and podcasts, In the Moment with Mamoon, are a source of inspiration for thousands of coaches and spiritual seekers of all faiths across the world. Welcome, Mamoon. Thank you so much for having me, and what a great introduction and summary to our topic. I'm really excited to bring this topic to our listeners, but before we dive in, would you mind just sharing a little bit of your background? Yeah, so I started coaching in 2009, and by that point, it was something that I already absolutely knew that I definitely wanted to do as my job, right? I wasn't an entrepreneur back then, and I didn't realize I would have to become a business owner in order to be a coach. I just thought I'd become a coach, and then I would be a coach, and that would be that. A few years earlier, I was in medical school and didn't want to be a doctor, so it's the wrong school to be in, really. (laughs) And... I wanted to travel the world and I wanted to get married really young and live in Spain, in Barcelona and do all of these things, including drop out of medical school. And that was not news taken well by my parents for some reason. (laughs) They were like, wait, you want to drop out of medical school and go travel the world with your girlfriend and you want to get married and go live on the other side? No. So fortunately, I found the light by watching late night television and seeing an infomercial for Tony Robbins, Get the Edge, I believe the program was called, Seven Days to Transform Your Life. And I listened through the whole program lots and lots of times, took notes, carried around a little note card and had to change your mindset and your beliefs when you're feeling down in the dumps, did all of that. And I was still struggling. And in the manual, the last page of the manual, it says, are you still struggling? Call this number. So I called it and I spoke to somebody who I guess was a coach. And I got sold on coaching and I hired a coach, amazing coach actually, and I think it was maybe six sessions or something, but those six sessions really changed my life. They changed the whole trajectory of my life, right? Decide, all right, this is what I'm really going to do. This is what I really want. Forget what my parents want, whatever you want. This is what I want for myself. That's where it all started for me. And I tasted the transformation possible through coaching. And I was like, oh, wow, 
what the heck kind of a job is this and how do I do that? That's where it started for me. The same thing happened to me. It just gets us and it's like, wow, how do I do this for others? Like that's when we know it's a calling and it's more than just a job for, I don't think I've met a coach where they're like, no, 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 this is just a job for me. In all my years of doing this, like it really is a deeper calling about how we can help others, often in the same areas where we experienced great transformation. And so when we're talking about being a rich coach, like what do you consider to be a rich coach? Are you talking about like five, six, seven, eight figure businesses? Or let's get clear on what that means first. Yeah. So I got to say, so I've interviewed a couple dozen of some of the monetarily richest coaches I could find. Some of the richest coaches in the world. And I asked a lot of them this question, and they all gave great responses. But one of my favorites was from our mutual friend, Michelle Chabnell. And she gave literally the, the most comprehensive response I heard from everyone, which is she defines rich as rewarded, inspired, confident, and happy. And I was like, yeah, that's exactly what it is. It's not just about making more money. Obviously, that is a part of it, and we've got to address that the rewarded part, because if you're not charging what you're worth, it might be because you're questioning what you're worth, and it might be because you have low self-worth, and that, of course, plays a big role if you want to be a coach, right? But rewarded, inspired, how can you be inspired? Because you actually, like we just talked about, this is really your calling. There's nothing more inspiring in the world to most coaches than being able to do this for a living. So rewarded, inspired, confident, Confident because you've worked on yourself, confident because you know that the transformation you went through could help so many people, confident because you know the solid grounding that your skills are on, confident because you're competent at having the transformative coaching conversation. So confidence is absolutely a key part of it. And then naturally, if you're not confident, nobody's going to pay you because they're going to tell that you don't even believe it's worth it. How's anyone else going to believe it's worth it? And happy rewarded, inspired, confident, and happy. What is the point of having a coaching business if you're not doing it with pure joy and happiness? One of the other coaches I interviewed, great guy called Tiamo, he had this great concept of joy first. And his counterintuitive way to become the richest, happiest version of yourself is in your business and in your life. Figure out what are the most joyful things for you to do and do those first, schedule those in first. And the really interesting counterintuitive thing is by making the decision to put joy first and not focusing on anything else, not even looking at the numbers in his business, automatically became more monetarily wealthy that year, the year that he did that for a full year. Completely surprising to him. So yeah, rewarded, inspired, confident, happy. Thank you, Michelle Chavnell. Kudos to Michelle Chavnell and Tiamo for the, and everyone else who was interviewed in How Rich Coaches Think. But this is where a lot of my data comes from, is literally finding the most wealthy, well-rewarded, inspired, confident, and happiest coaches I could find, which, by the way, is a really fun job. Now, when you talk about that kind of definition, rewarded, inspired, confident, happy, joy first, and you talk about that, I imagine for those of us that have been on the journey, that have learned how to create wealth, however we define it for ourselves and our business, it's easy to talk about that. And I remember back in the day, at the very beginning, it's like, yeah, and I got to make money. And so is the way you define being a rich coach, is there room for it to be about the money, the monetary dollar amount as well? Yeah, well, how about this? It's impossible to 
be a successful coach without being monetarily successful for many reasons. Firstly, the rewarded, just so we're clear, <laughs> the rewarded in that rich definition, the rewarded means money. It means you are paid extremely well for the work you do. So it's almost inevitable that once you learn a few skills like growing your database and your fan base and learning how to do introductory coaching sessions and signing up clients, when you learn some of the basics of marketing, you probably will be well rewarded by any global definition. But the real question is, how high can we go? Like if we're just trying to pay the bills, this is something they call in neurolinguistic programming, they call it away from motivation. You're just trying to pay the bills, right? And if you're just trying to pay the bills, you're just trying to not be poor, then what you're focusing on and what you're probably going to be attracting is, okay, don't be poor, don't be poor, don't be poor. That's actually poverty programming. So we want to step a little bit beyond that. As coaches, we know this, right? Don't set the goal for what you don't want, set the goal for what you want. What do you want? A six-figure business, a seven-figure business, an eight-figure business? Make that the goal, right? In my experience, to get to seven and eight figures, it's kind of handy to pass through six figures at some point, right? And most of the coaches that I work with personally, the big jumping point is going from zero to six figures. Because going from zero to six figures is way more challenging. Probably going from zero to two figures or three figures could be way more challenging than going from three to four, four to five, five to six, and then six to seven. Because all of the skills happen right in the beginning. And the beginning is where the biggest learning curve is. But once you've got that skill, it stays with you forever. And just to make this a bit more tangible, it's like, yeah, before you get to eight figures, you've got to pass through six figures. Learn how to sign up a client, number one, and then go do it a few times. I spoke to someone the other day who's a coach, went through some of the How Rich Coaches Thinks interviews, and they had a session with me. And the guy's like, okay, I want to launch this seven-figure business, and I'm going to write all this really clever marketing. And I was like, great, great. When was the last time you spoke to someone in your target audience? And he froze. When was the last time you spoke to one person in your target audience and just had that conversation with them and then had something at the end where you could offer them if it was a good fit? And he hadn't yet. And I was like, well, before you write any fancy marketing materials, before you do that, talk to the target audience. Because by coaching one person, your understanding of the whole market skyrockets. I've worked in a lot of different niches, in the spiritual niche, in the relationship niche. Every info product I created, every webinar I created, all of them, every sales letter, all of them started with me coaching person after person after person, usually in a group format, getting them into a coaching group. Why? Because firstly, I can help you a lot more likely. I can help you if I actually work with you personally, right? Secondly, I am getting paid for my market research. And thirdly, the marketing materials I come out with that later do become multi-six-figure campaigns, that all started with me talking with one person and coaching them. And it really is about the fundamentals. Like no matter what size you get to or how long you've been doing this, the fundamentals always matter. Now, you've interviewed and worked with a lot of the wealthiest coaches that you talked about. And what are some of those key mindset shifts and beliefs that they cultivate these beliefs to overcome self-doubt and to maintain that growth mindset that you talk about? What are some of those key mindset shifts? Yeah. Now, there are so many. <laughs> What are your top two? All right. I'll give you my top two. So number one, this comes from one of the greatest coaches and mentors on the planet, the coach and mentor of Dr. Strange from the Avengers. Dr. Strange's coach is the ancient one. And in that movie, the ancient one said, I'm paraphrasing, right? But she said, it's not about you. It's not about you. It is not about you. 
then who's it about? The people you started your business in order to help. So number one challenge most coaches have, even years I've been doing this, and I've helped thousands of coaches with this very number one problem, and it's still a problem for so many people, is a very unclear target audience and a goal they want. When you're clear about that, that's the first step. After that, get clearer and clearer and clearer and deeper and deeper and deeper by talking to more and more clients. What this does is it leads to mastery. You become a master coach of that group of people who want that particular goal. Get a couple of hundred people on your email list, do a couple dozen introductory coaching sessions, and work with a dozen clients who are all in that audience and all want that result. That's such a critical starting point because do you know how hard it is to write a seven-figure sales letter without a clear target audience? It's almost impossible to write a clear sales letter or a clear webinar or a clear anything, a clear opt-in page without a clear target audience. It's almost impossible. So that's one of the big ones. Now, what stops us from doing that? So many things. Fear, doubt, insecurity, all of your inner game stuff. Who am I to go into this space? All of this kind of stuff. And it's all good. But you know what's common with all of that stuff? It's all about you. Drop all of that and serve people. Now, what's your second mindset shift that you would pull out of all the ones that you know? Money isn't magical. There is nothing magical about receiving money. There is nothing magical about a seven-figure business. The only difference between a seven-figure business and a six-figure business is the seven-figure business creates 10 times as much value. There's nothing magical about it. And the corollary of this is what we were talking about briefly earlier, stick to the fundamentals. It is so tempting to go and learn every single strategy and gimmick and every two months there's a new thing, right? You know, one day everybody's talking about doing a five-day challenge on Facebook and the next everybody's talking about chat GPT and the next everybody's talking about automated webinars and the next everybody's talking about traffic generation, this and that. It's never going to stop, right? That change is going to be constant, but the fundamentals haven't changed. So what do I mean by the fundamentals? If you're a coach, you've got to know how to do an introductory coaching session. If you want an online business, you've got to have an email list. Now, I know there are a few influencers out there who don't have email lists to their own peril. That our business is in a very dangerous, precarious position, especially if you occasionally dare to think a little bit differently from other people, right? Because it doesn't take a lot for your whole social media channel to get shut down. It happened to lots of people. It doesn't matter what end of the political spectrum you're on or the religious spectrum or whatever. So that's a whole thing in and of itself. But the real reason is, forget getting kicked off one of these social media platforms. You don't control the algorithm. You can try gaming it all day long, but you don't control it. Your own email list is different because you control it. Now, let me ask you this. Earlier, you mentioned this. I want to go back to something that you said earlier, and we talked about at the intro, where, you know, for many of us, I think all of us, coaching's a calling. And when I talk with, we work with new coaches at Coaches Console, getting them set up really at the start of their business. And there is often this tug of war between calling and purpose and making money. And there's this idea that they seem to have that if I'm going to pursue a calling and a purpose, I can't make money. Then it's not a calling or purpose. And if I want to make money, well, now it's I'm losing sight of my calling and purpose. Is there room for both of those? Such a great question and really such a great insight built into it. That is one of the biggest limiting beliefs and limited ways of thinking 
that blocks people. It seems like that's too good to be true. That's too good to be true. How could it be that I could do something that I love so much and that doesn't even feel like work and make more money than I did in a corporate job? And I got to tell you something, nothing is too good to be true. The idea that something is too good to be true. Now, I'm going to go, can I go a bit spiritual on you for a sec? Always. I love it. All right. The idea that something is too good to be true is a way of doubting the divine. You're doubting God's or the source of the universe's generosity. The same generosity that has literally given you everything you have in your life right now, you're doubting it when you say, oh, that's too good to be true. Nothing is too good for God to make happen. I'm going to use the G word. I call it Allah usually, but nothing's too good for Allah to make happen. What are we talking about here? How did we get this idea that it would be somehow okay and humble to work really hard in a job I hate, but suddenly it's wrong to do something that I'm inspired to do, which I believe inspiration is from the divine, inspired from spirit, right? Something I'm inspired to do and I love. By the way, Khalil Gibran, right? Work is love made visible. Work is love made visible. Because the one who doesn't love what they do, the baker who doesn't love what they do is going to bake a bit of bread, right? And there's a lot of people doing like <laughs> baking bitter breads out there. And how beautiful that we don't have to. I truly believe it's a both and. And I spend a lot of time and energy on this topic with newer coaches because they're in this either or thinking. And it's like, no, 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 you can have a calling and have your purpose, live it fully, and you can make a lot of money or whatever that amount of money is. It doesn't matter. Whatever that amount is, you can have both. I really want our listeners to walk away with that. Now, I also want to go back to something else I heard you say, and I'm going to push back a little bit on something. It's actually a pet peeve of mine, so I'll give you a heads up about that. And you talked about coaches need to charge what they're worth. Now, I hear a lot of people talk about that, charge what you're worth. And yes, there are a ton of coaches out there absolutely undercharging. Where I have an issue or a rub is I believe somebody's worth is priceless no matter what they charge or don't charge. That actually the amount that you put on your services should not be aligned with your worth because you're priceless, everybody is. Rather, it should be aligned with the transformation that the people experience and have that kind of aligned pricing so that with the results that they get, the outcomes that they experience, the investment that they make is in alignment with their outcomes. That's the alignment, not charge what you're worth. That is a much more accurate way of describing it. You know, when I realized the whole charging thing, that what a psychological illusion it is. So I was in the spiritual niche talking with people from all over the world about deepening their spiritual connection with God. I called it Quran coaching. And I spoke with someone who was late teens or early 20s, and he lived in India. And he was doing an introductory coaching session with me. And I took him through a great session. He was so grateful, so happy to be on the session. And he said, I would absolutely love to join your program. And I was really undercharging back then. I was charging about a hundred pounds a month or something for one-to-one -one coaching. But he was like, I would absolutely love to join your program, but that's more money than my family makes, I think in several months, right? And, and I'm the, the breadwinner for the whole family and it's literally not possible. And then it hit me. It doesn't matter how little you charge. 
there will be some people, actually billions of people on planet Earth who will never be able to afford it. And it doesn't matter how much you charge, there will be people, millions of people, who will be able to comfortably afford it. And I was like, oh, it's just a number. It's just a number. And yeah, you make it whatever makes sense for the campaign that you're doing. And you just got to figure it out based on absolute practicalities. The other thing I realized is what I told him on the call is I was really touched. And I said, well, don't worry about joining this program. I'm going to send you so much good stuff over the next few weeks, months, and years. You just stay on my email list and I'll give you the best I've got that I possibly can. And I did. I still do. So the whole charging what you're worth, you're right. It's not about, you can't put a price on the human spirit or even on your time, honestly, because money can be replaced. You're never going to get that time back. It's got nothing to do with your worth. That is a really good point. It's a sloppy generalization we've been making. Good call, Melinda. That's a very good call. Yeah, I just want to clean that one up. Now, when we think about the scarcity mindset that a lot of coaches have when they're in this new thing, they're stepping out of their comfort zone. And like, what are some strategies or exercises that you recommend to help them identify those limiting beliefs specifically about money? How can they identify those and begin to replace them? It's a great question. And there are tons of techniques and things that you can do. And the truth is most coaches know a lot of them. Because I started out learning neuro-linguistic programming and I learned some energy healing and stuff like that. So there's lots of things that can be done. And the truth is most coaches listening probably know of some personal development techniques to let go of this stuff. I like to do a couple of things. Number one is to recognize that beliefs are just thoughts. There's nothing to them. They are literally the stuff dreams are made of. That's all they are. And you're not chained to any particular belief unless you choose to be, right? So that's the first one. Number two, most people aren't aware of the beliefs they have around money until they go through some kind of a workshop or a seminar or something where it's like, hey, complete this sentence. Money is blank. And then you'll answer that 10 times. Money is blank. Money is blank. Money is blank. Money means blank. Getting paid means blank. Giving money means blank. Answer that a few times and you'll see what your beliefs are, right? What I found to be extremely powerful, instead of going down the rabbit hole of taking those thoughts and beliefs that you have right now in your head really seriously, like, oh no, I've got all these limiting beliefs. I like to just do it the other way around. Like, well, what beliefs do you want to have? What are the most empowering beliefs you can have about money and wealth? Some of the most powerful ones are actually the most true and the most basic. Like money is a means of exchanging value. By the way, getting paid for doing a job you hate versus the passion that you love you know, the funny thing about that is you're not paid for how much you enjoy the work. You're not paid for the work. You're paid for the value that was created. Not only is it possible to get really, really well paid for doing what you love, it's almost impossible not to. It is almost impossible. It's not impossible, but it's almost impossible to not get paid really, really well for doing work that you love and have chosen to master. You and I could take this conversation in about 20 different directions and talk for the next several days or weeks about this. But I want to summarize some of the things that we've talked about so far. And I love how you defined what is a rich coach. And you borrowed from our friend Michelle Shubnell. Rich is rewarded, inspired, confident, and happy. And the reminder that the R, rewarded, at the very beginning of that is to be paid extremely well for what you do and that that is possible. And you talked about Tiama's approach to joy first. 
that when you prioritize that in your life and your business, you become more monetarily wealthy and the numbers increase, they go hand in hand. And we talked about the distinction of if you're just focused on trying to pay your bills and not be poor, that that's poverty programming that you're continuing to build those beliefs that continue to run, but instead set the goal for what you want. And I know it kind of sounds simple and I feel like we're preaching to the choir, but it's often overlooked and it's worth mentioning. And we talked about how there is room for purpose and impact and money. They go hand in hand. It's not an either or situation. Both can coexist. And we talked about some key mindset shifts. One coming from the ancient one from Dr. Strange, it's not about you. Really, it's about the people. And I find that to be so true. And it's the common denominator for everything that we do. And you talked about money isn't magical that you just gotta stick to the fundamentals. And when you do that consistently, great things happen. You gotta know not just how to master the skills of coaching, but all the skills that go with getting clients and converting them and getting paid by them. You gotta know those skills. And when you invest in that, those skills last a lifetime. We had a fun rant on the whole charge what you're worth. And you gave us some great exercises on getting out of that scarcity mindset, recognizing our beliefs, and then identifying what beliefs we do want to embrace and spending time on that. Mamun, do you have any parting words for our listeners? If you know you're meant to be a coach, if you know it's a calling, and you'll know because your soul has been telling you, this is it, this is it, this is my path for a long time, trust your intuition 100%. In order to hear it loud and clear, we've got to quiet the mind, quiet the ego, quiet all of our insecurities and fears and doubts. Let all of that just be quiet and still internally. And those inklings and those whispers become loud and clear. And then you'll know what to charge. You'll know who to work with. You'll know the clients to not work with. And the other thing I would say is choose your beliefs wisely. Choose your beliefs wisely. If you want the beliefs of the world's wealthiest coaches. I have downloaded an ebook resource you can get, The 21 Beliefs of the World's Wealthiest Coaches, howrichcoachesthink.com. Beautiful. Well, thank you for listening to this episode of Just Between Coaches. And also a big thank you to Mamoon for this great conversation. You can find out more about him at howrichcoachesthink.com. That's howrichcoachesthink.com. And in the show notes, you'll find links to his website and podcast and also to his resource, the 21 Beliefs of the World's Wealthiest Coaches. Mamoon, thank you so much for coming to the show. Thank you so, so much for having me here. And I wish all of the listeners all of the best. I'm Melinda Cohen, and you've been listening to Just Between Coaches. Just Between Coaches is part of the Mayor CFM podcast network, which also includes such shows as Making It and Soul Savvy Business. Mishi Lance produced this episode. I wrote this episode together with her. Cynthia Lamb is our supervising producer. And Danny Eni is our executive producer. To catch the great episodes on Just Between Coaches, please follow us on Mayor CFM's YouTube channel or your favorite podcast player. And if you enjoyed the show, please leave us a comment or a starred review. It's the best way to help us get these ideas to more people. Thank you and see you next time. Miracy. And so the tailor, having gathered together the beautiful scraps, 
began to sew. He stitched and he sewed and he sewed and he stitched. And by the morning time, he had made himself a beautiful coat. Now, when he wore his coat into the market, everyone admired it so much that the tailor decided to wear the new coat everywhere. And that's what he did. He wore it and wore it and wore it until it was all worn out. Or was it? In each episode of Once Upon a Business, Lisa shares a fairy folk or traditional tale and then extracts rich business lessons that are applicable for entrepreneurs, coaches, and course creators. Stories always take us on a journey from one place to the next. Sometimes this journey is literal, sometimes it's metaphorical, but always we find ourselves transformed. This story, The Tailor's Coat, originating from Europe, takes us through a literal transformation of the pieces of cloth and yet somehow teaches a powerful lesson. It does speak to a common entrepreneurial journey. Many of us start out working for someone else and give them everything we've got. Perhaps the tailor finally deciding to make something for himself is similar to the entrepreneurial desire to begin to create a business for ourselves. We take the scraps, the skills that we've developed, the experience that we've gained, and we launch our own business. I think it's an incredibly important skill for an entrepreneur, for anybody running a business, to be able to know that creating something out of nothing is always possible. And it's often the way forward because it's out of the scraps of what's been done before. It's out of almost the missing pieces that are not quite there that we can actually bring our creativity and bring our determination and bring our vision to create something really wonderful, really brand new and really beautiful. And then we can walk around the town with it. You know, we can be proud, we can step out and we can wear it until it's almost worn out, but not quite. To hear more of Lisa's stories and learn the deep lessons they carry, make sure you subscribe to Once Upon a Business wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you every other week with a brand new episode.